this week in Twin Geekcast 36, one summer could change everything in Stranger Things. Crawl storms into your box office. We have your half-year review. And check out thetwingeeks.com for our new site layout. The Twin Geekcast theme is provided by andrewnapiermusic.com. feels like a while since we've talked i guess it kind of has been it feels closer to two weeks than one since we did our jaws yeah. podcast right yeah it's been a weird week i've been away on vacation still suffering a head cold from my last sickness mm-hmm. i've just been saying that you're just perpetually sick on this podcast i think so i mm-hmm. think that's a fair assessment yeah so and that that explains your more irritable bouts when we're having discussions together yeah uh, very irritable today, and and that makes sense because we're covering um, the first half of 2019. Kind of just uh, look at the window of the first half of the year's films. Uh, it's been a weird, weird start to the year. Very slow. Yeah, I wouldn't even say start. I mean, we're halfway through now. Or I think we're past the start. Um, and it it really feels like the movies have just started coming out. Like we had like three dead months to begin the year. Then we had a. We had like a frenzy of stuff around some of the Marvel releases, and that's about all we got. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of interest, but I mean, I'm, I'm also not the person to ask. I mean, full disclosure, I've seen five new films this year. Yeah. So I can I can only weigh in on so much, but I mean, you you've seen quite an impressive list, greater. But even that, it's it's a lot shorter than you were at this point last year. Um. Yeah, I think maybe like. Maybe like my top five is stronger, but my overall list is a hell of a lot shorter. I must have already seen about a hundred by this point last year. I'm only at mm-hmm. seventy five this time, which is still a hugely impressive number. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on, no, nobody else here listening is going to have seen that many. Like I said, I saw five, and they're all like big blockbustery films for the most part. <laughs> so hopefully, I could utilize that as like valuable resource to highlight some of these, but. Uh, Yes. Uh, we could just go through, like, my top ten. I saw uh, Transit at the Seattle Jewish Film Festival. Um, mm-hmm. That's like a rewriting of the, you know, like the time of the Nazis, where it's in modern day, and it never addresses that. Uh, it's it's the same old story. It's set back then, but then it has, like, all the modern conveniences as cars, and uh, it's really jarring just setting it right in our time period. It It feels shocking. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, they had cars in Nazi times, as you call oh, yeah, them. Yeah. But, I mean, I think that's the interesting idea there, is that Nazi times is not exclusive to 1942 to 1945, you know? It's been a, you know, it's a it's an ideology that we have to follow, and some of which we are, in fact, seeing reflected today. Yeah, I mean, they got the modern sports cars and stuff on the streets, and it, it feels like a, like a modern city. Mm-hmm. I know Tyler liked this film quite a lot. He enjoyed the, the director's other work uh, prior as well. And I appreciated that, uh, yeah, Phoenix is supposed to be great. I haven't seen it yet. I appreciated that they didn't use phones. Like, they have they have every other modern convenience, but uh, apart from that plot contrivance of having, like, a cell phone available. Mm-hmm. So what, they have, like, Keurig machines and Roombas and all that stuff? Yeah, they're still, like, uh, you know... They're still sending telegraphs to to communicate. It's not that efficient. Um, mm-hmm. Then I have a book smart at nine, which is delightful. It's fun. It's a little bit twee, but uh, I I feel like we needed book smart, and it didn't make a huge splash at box office. Well, it made a notable enough impact, I guess. I don't know, and people seem to really resonate with it. I've seen people take away more from that than most other films this year. Kind of. Uh, I guess the closest thing last year was like 8th grade, kind of similar yeah. thing, reminds me of. I could see a lot of similarity with 8th grade. I like 8th grade just a bit more than Booksmart, but uh, there's... Yeah. I like Bo Burnham a lot, so that might be a part of that. I feel like... Oh, I think uh, <laughs> I think in general, our uh, resident teen girl movie expert, Kevin, would also agree. <laughs> he liked them both a lot, but he really loved 8th grade. You'd think it would be like Laura, but we don't like to typecast our, our writers, so Kevin's our no, teen oh, girl expert. Yeah, Kevin's our, our, our teeny bopper flick person. <laughs> I, I I like eighth grade more because it's a little bit more relatable. Like these white girls in Booksmart don't have huge problems. Like uh, they have all the money in the world. You know, it, they're going to a college. They're 
big problem is they didn't have enough fun. So, mm-hmm. whatever. Well, that's like the the opposite end of, uh, I guess, 8th grade. 8th grade definitely focuses on the actual issue there more. I, I've heard the comparison between Booksmart and Superbad being very, very similar. Yeah. Kind of just a gender swap there. I think there's just a universality to, like, all those movies about, like, the school experience, which, which they get into. Mm-hmm. Um, what else we got? At number eight, I have a happy death day to you. I love happy death day, and uh, really, this is just an excuse for me to keep talking about it. Yeah, this is entirely a biased pick. This is probably not at anywhere close on anyone else's list. Everyone else in the country has <laughs> forgotten this movie even existed. It's just you. So here, here's your minute and a half to talk about it. Go nuts. Well, Happy Death Day, the original, it, it has that interesting premise where Tree just keeps coming back in like a Groundhog Day mechanism. And it's perfect for a sequel because there's so many opportunities for like a parallel universe to form around it. So this takes like the sci-fi take on that and it goes into more of like a back to the future plot line of what would happen in these parallel dimensions. Could tree go back, save her mother, uh, save her parents relationship. And can you ever fix anything or can you just settle with things being the way they are? So I really appreciate those kind of stories anyway. And it's really kind of hinging on a bunch of genres that I really like coming together into one thing. Um, I think it's like eminently rewatchable. I think the horror is really funny in it, and I think the horror is also it's also scary. I I felt moderately scared. I'd say. Mm-hmm. Would you still classify as a horror film? I've heard lots of people kind of saying it's not really horror anymore. Yeah, I think it I think it falls pretty easily into like the slasher camp. And as much as those things were back in the day, I think we're so desensitized that if you made one the way that they were, they wouldn't you know they wouldn't really carry that same weight. Right, like Nightmare on Elm Street is more like a comedy nowadays. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Like the first one, not not just the, the silly sequels, like the actual first one. Yeah, like I'm watching all these Friday 13ths, and I think Happy Death Day has a lot more genuine horror to it than those do. Well, those were never scary. They were no. just always awful, and we'd laugh at them. Right. That was the whole thing. <laughs> I don't know why I've decided to watch all of them, but I have. I don't know. I'm I'm not going to. No, you don't need to. At number seven, I have Double Vise, or uh, in English, it's called nonfiction. In France, it's Double Vise or Double Lives. So uh, that's a really interesting kind of French new wave piece. It's sort of like the Eric Romar movies that I like so much. Mm-hmm. Which we've yet to talk about. Well, one of these days, we'll pick a French film to talk about. I'll finally. <laughs> we'll finally talk about that. something that I know about. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, we'll get to like Weekend or some Godard or you know Romar or something that I'm really into. We'll figure it I'll out. I'll do it eventually. That's like that's my biggest cinema blind spot is that that 60s French New Wave. I haven't done that yet. I'm really into writerly movies, and I think those are the most writerly because they're just people dialoguing, and this that's what nonfiction and Asse is. I think that's the way you pronounce it. Olivier Asse is the director. Um, that's kind of what he's about. So I really appreciate this one. Uh, very, very dense, and I think it's I think it's funny that I have two uh, Juliet Binoche movies in my top ten here. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what else? <laughs> uh, I have John Wick three, which we've kind of talked to death. I I don't know if it uh, really needs any further examination. It's it's fun. Yeah, uh, I don't I don't really have anything else to say on it other than you know I. I was not as satisfied with it as most people. Yeah, I found a lot know. of heart in the action. I think it moves better than the first two. It has a lot to it that I really like. Uh, at number five, I have uh, Apollo 11. I really like a great documentary. This kind of gives you tension to something that's historical, which is really fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. It's nice to see a good uh, documentary, especially they, they hardly make these best of lists. So it's nice to highlight them when we're halfway through. I don't know if it'll stay this high mm. come the end of the year. I, I hope we'll get some actual better releases just in general. <laughs> I'd say this is a really good one. The, the the way that the electronic ambient score like goes into the rocket launch, it feels like it's completely new and fresh. It, it really excited me. Mm-hmm. Um, at number four, I have Woman at War, which I... I really, really like it. I just watched it again last week. Uh, and that's one that I caught at the Nordic Film Festival. Mm-hmm. It's another one we have your review up of. Really great uh, glowing review of that film on the site. And that one's interesting because uh, I'll never pronounce the actress's name. It's it's very long and very, very Nordic. But uh, she plays the two lead parts. She plays her and her sister. And it's about uh, the you know what's happening with them. Um, 
climate change. And then there's another necessity of, of your fighting Mother Earth, but uh, maybe there are children on the planet that you could go rescue. And uh, she's looking into like this girl in uh, Ukraine and whether she needs to go parent her or she can continue her eco active terrorism or whatever she's doing. Uh, it's very interesting. It's like a, um, what would you call it? First reform, but more of a delightful, warm comedy. Mm-hmm. We were kidding about her name. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. We're not even trying. Um, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna touch that. Uh, you can see it in the review. I think I wrote it like 10 times because it's, it's so strange in the review. So go look at that on the site. Uh, at three, I have Toy Story 4. Uh, which I expected to be more disappointed by, but I actually really enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, I haven't gone to see it yet, but I've seen nothing but great glowing things from it, unlike uh, Lion King coming around here <laughs> oh, soon God. next week. <laughs> we'll be talking about Lion King the rest of the summer, and we'll resent it every week. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting seeing the shifting sensibilities because everyone was super high up on it, you know, when the trailer hit, and I was kind of, I, I was still a little tepid about it. I'm like, I don't know. But now everyone's turned against it, it seems. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. And I feel like Toy Story could have easily gone that way, too. Like, uh, I think there's good reason they had to push back, like, Incredibles last year, so this could have some room. Uh, this this almost saw released the last three years in a row. Uh, you could feel its troubled development, and that it's such a creation of anxiety. So uh, I'm glad to have it here, and it feels like a... Don't ever make one of these again. We're, we're all tired. Yeah, bless you. At number two, we have High Life. Uh, the Claire Denis uh, first English language film. Uh, it's interesting watching her breaking into the English market and creating like an art piece that's a lot more accessible for English audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this one is one of your favorite controversial picks. You gravitate towards those, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's stylish. It's cool. And I love that it came out the same week that we got the picture of the black hole because the whole film's about him like drifting toward a black hole. And uh, that whole relationship between, like, fact and fiction and the way that it's visualized in the movie also kind of really resembles how it looked in the picture. It looks even clearer in the movie, and you imagine that's really how it would look up close because that's almost a carbon copy of what it looked like, which is just really miraculous uh, uh, incidental timing for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, number one we got here, let's hear it. All right, at number one, I have Rocket Man. I think that's our shared pick. Yeah, uh, I certainly agree. Again, I only saw five films this year, and like, I I don't know if any of them were really good outside of Avengers, <laughs> which was like j- just good enough, and then Rocket Man, which was actually great. Yeah, it and... blew me away. I I wasn't expecting that from a Elton John bio. Yeah, and and it is very biopicy. That's kind of its like one fault I would say. Otherwise, it does an amazing job of telling the story in a very original and interesting way. And the music, of course, is absolutely fantastic. And they don't just like slap songs in. You know, they there's actual real new recordings, and they're very stylized and different. It's very unique. It's, it's it has an identity away from the artist. And turn Egerton, he has a hell of a singing voice too, and it's unique and and very interesting. Uh, Put next to John's. Yeah, uh, I mean, we did a whole podcast on it that you know I implore anyone to to go listen to here. It's uh, you know we, n- nothing but rave reviews for it over there. And we gave it so a ten like, on our website, our highest score. So yeah, I, I hopefully we'll see it around the end of the year again. Maybe it'll still be in discussion for in our top ten. But otherwise, you know, as we've seen, it's uh, you know. Your, your top ten list there doesn't necessarily reflect the universal sentiment around what the best of this year was. What do you think that would be? I don't know. I mean, I haven't even seen anything that's really grabbed me, especially if we're talking, like, Oscar material. Like, what's what stands out as being something significant? I think it's important. We look at, like, box office every week, but, like, our viewing habits, neither of ours really reflect, like, a system-wide, like, solution or problem, so... I go to a lot of festivals, so so I have a lot of early access to things that, you know, you're not seeing yet or don't really exist in, like, a mainstream way. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't go to new movies, so it's not like there aren't new movies. It's just, you know, you're selective. And I... I've seen five things this year. I thought I thought Us was going to be one of the big contenders, but I was thoroughly disappointed. <laughs> us, yeah, it's fallen fast off my list. I think uh, Us still has some uh, buzz circling around it, but I think it's just I don't Lupita. Know. I think it's just her performance. 
See, I, I, I disagree entirely because I haven't heard a word about us since opening weekend, essentially. Um, Nobody, it's it's forgotten. And I think that, I, I don't know what's really dominating the discussion. There's really no standout yet, is there, as far as this even, year? Even Endgame discussion has kind of died down. It's not yeah. exactly the cultural behemoth that we thought it was going to be. Like, for, for like a month, it certainly was the, the big point, talking point. But I mean, I have ideas the- about things, but I don't want to say like, Portrait of Lady on Fire or, or Farewell or Parasite. Like, that's all second half of the, the year light, stuff. The Lighthouse is still coming out this year, right? What was that? The Lighthouse? The, the, lighthouse. the Lighthouse coming out this year? Yeah, so we have a lot to look forward to, but not a lot that we're looking back on yet. No. So hopefully the, the next, uh, you know, five, six months here, they, they yield better films, more interesting stuff, because otherwise we're just sitting here stumbling trying to fill time until we get to the box office. Yeah, we should get to that box office. Yeah, let's take a look at it this week since it's uh, been a little bit. Last week were our guesses, and it, it actually looks like it came out pretty accurate here. This week is very similar looking. Yeah. Uh, starting at num- number 10 here with Men in Black International still hanging on. I don't know why. I, I don't know why people are still seeing it. I guess it's not in that many screens, and uh, it's such a dire week anyway outside the top three that... Uh, doesn't really matter. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's going to be a flop for sure. It was a flop. How much else to say about it? Uh, number nine is Secret Life of Pets 2. Uh, we we added on the TV for a bit while we were at the cabin this weekend. The original's a lot more charming. This one's not as charming. Mm-hmm. I must say, uh, but eight, we do have a little bit more talk about Midsommar here. Mm-hmm. And we had the review by Laura on the site. Mm-hmm. Did you go and see it yet? I don't remember if you saw this. I haven't yet. Oh, wow. That's surprising, since it's been out for more than a week, and this was one you were kind of anticipating. <laughs> yeah, I know. I I haven't been able to manage time. Like I say, uh, my my daughter, I don't know what parents do during the summer, because she doesn't have daycare available for like the last two weeks. <laughs> I can't go to a mm-hmm. horror movie, especially. Uh, I don't know about that, but... <laughs> um, well, yeah, hopefully you get out and see it before next week. Uh Otherwise, we have another whore here doing a bit better than Midsommar, which is uh, Annabelle Comes Home. Isn't that a little bit sad that it's doing better? <laughs> I, I am. I feel I, like I Midsommar is, is such a more unique choice because we just had Chucky and Annabelle and Toy Story, and they're all the same movie. But mm-hmm. Midsommar seems like it's really a unique, special thing. Well, it's different, and it's original, and it's an up-and-coming director who had a big hit last year. You want to see them succeed more than this studio-churned-out sequel horror film. I don't know why Kevin loves the Annabelle movies, but it might be like... I want to say it's generational, but he's older than me. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I don't know. I guess he just clings on to that. You know, they're very popular. Just same thing I imagine we'll see, you know, the the It movie at the top of the box office for a while later this year as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see here. Number six, speaking of films hanging on too long here, is uh, Aladdin still. I feel like conversation got a lot more kind to Aladdin after the Lion King reviews, which I'm very uncomfortable with. Yeah, I know you're still totally on the, the leading the charge of the hate Aladdin bandwagon there. It's terrible. But I agree that it, it seems like everyone's like justifying Aladdin a little bit more. I'm hearing a lot of opinions that Aladdin at least did something or is entertaining or... Or had something to it. No, it didn't. There's nothing in Aladdin. There's. <laughs> I'm just. I mean, I can. I can see the argument because there's at least more opportunity there. Whereas this new Lion King literally just feels like a special effects showcase. Maybe it's an opportunity, but into a they didn't do anything with any of them. There's nothing redeeming about Aladdin. It's one of the worst movies of the year. I don't. It, I don't see what it gave, where people get off on this. It gave Jasmine more character and a, and a nice song, it sounds like, at least. But oh. I, I don't agree with... I, I mean, I agree that it's it's not enough to justify the praising the film in any way. It's, it still sounds like it's a total piece of shit. No, it's abysmal. There's, there's no reason to start defending this because another thing is bad. <laughs> let's not, let's yeah. not play that game. We don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, here, let's, let's move on before you start having your veins pop out of your head. They already are. <laughs> At number five, we have Yesterday, which didn't drop as much as I was surprised, surprisingly, I thought. <laughs> yeah, um, Yesterday is such a unique premise, really wasted, such a good director on it. Uh, we found out from Bro that, yes, John Lennon does appear in the film, and that the right. Ringo, uh, Ringo and uh, 
what's his name, Paul, are, are just like Paul, in it at, in like a dream sequence. Oh, so Paul doesn't actually appear? So that, that's the part that I did see, was that they were just like hinted at in like a nightmare sequence, but they don't really appear because they're nobody without the band. But then apparently Lennon goes on to create art anyway because he's Lennon. Oh, okay, so so here's my guess of what happened, having not seen the film or read much about anything, is that they they originally had a scene to appear in the film, and they were sent the script, and they decided it was shite. So they both both <laughs> Paul and Ringo rejected it. So what they did was that they they reached out to McCartney's estate, maybe maybe Yoko if she's still around <laughs> doing shit, and wants money. Obviously, they're like, hey, we'll pay a bunch of money if we could use John's likeness in the film, and that's what they did. <laughs> it seems like that's what happened. Uh, and I guess it is an actor, though, and I, I think they just use makeup. I, I don't think it's like CG Lennon or something. So that's. I mean, I, I think the really creative choice would have been to dig up his corpse and like, you know, plaque him up in the film and use that, like you know, marionette him in there. I don't know. You know, if Beatles never happened, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So. Yeah, I, I, have, I have nothing interesting to say about yesterday. I'm just totally cynical about it because it looks. Like a cash grab uh, off of a semi-interesting concept. Like this thing is that I'm like, oh, that sounds like an interesting idea, but I have no idea what direction you take that in. I think they don't either. They they didn't go anywhere yeah. with it. Yeah, I know you weren't too happy about it, and so it seems like like it just killed any of my interest in it. My my very little interest that I had in there. What's that one coming later this year? You said was kind of similar. Oh, I mentioned it. Kind of similar. It's called Blinded by the Light, which is. Uh, like a celebration of Bruce Springsteen and his music, and I thought the title choice was odd because uh, "Blinded by the Light" is kind of a deeper cut of Springsteen mm -hmm. off of his first album, and it's um and more popular. It's also for the cover you were well, saying, right? Yeah, the cover by Manfred Mann's Earth Band is like way more well known. You you won't hear the Bruce Springsteen version on the radio, but you will hear Manfred Mann's version all the time. So it just seemed odd to me, and sending the, a weird image. Yeah, it's like a deep cut from not the most popular album. I don't know why they would choose that one. It's still a good version. It's just yeah. it's totally different, you know. And I mean, there's a there's a bunch of more recognizable. Like the obvious one is you just call it "Born to Run." Shit, that's what he called his autobiography. <laughs> I know. Maybe rights issues. What? What? I don't know why they wouldn't do it. Oh, picked a weird one. Anyway, uh, <laughs> enough about that. Uh, we got new films to talk about here this week. We have oh. uh, number four. We have Stuber, which is a, a worse name than Blinded by the Light. <laughs> I got so excited when you started talking about new films. And then I, I feel like the combination of Stupid and Uber is about the worst name this year. I don't I don't think that's what they're going for. Yeah. I think because that's his name. His name is Stu. Oh, it's not that's, supposed that's... to be like a stupid Uber. Driver. I mean, no, no, I don't think that's what they're going for. But I can see where you went with that. I mean, because oh. he obviously is stupid, but his name is Stu. And he's an Uber driver. Yeah, that's that's where the name comes from. Stuber. Yeah, that's the name of the movie. And he's a stupid Uber driver. I guess so. I don't know. You actually seem sort of interested in this yeah i want to see it <laughs> i'll see it sometime because of the name because he's a stupid uber driver i guess yeah i don't it just looks stupid to me not not even uber wise it just looks stupid stuber <laughs> and number three here we have a uh, crawl which i know you're interested in i'm so excited about crawl i i think it's probably the most excited i am about things that are coming right now this summer I think you've created like excitement within the site for this. Like, like everyone here now is talking about wanting to see Crawl, and nobody was before you started talking about it. So I'm I'm convinced now that you've just drummed up all this imaginary support for it that didn't exist before. Now I think the only thing that people really would have taken away otherwise is that it has like the <laughs> from Sam Raimi that it's like producer. That's why I was. I was tricked by it by the, by the trailers when I sat down to watch Rocket Man. I saw Sam Raimi's name and I gasped and and I got really excited and then and then I realized it was just for producer and I was I felt betrayed. I like that as like a site like nomenclature. We started using getting crawled as like a a way to show that you got tricked by a movie. That's pretty great. Jesse is that is that something we're doing? I think Jesse started using that one and and I've really cottoned on to the idea. 
Okay, well, I want to see that more in practice before I say that this is an actual trend that we're, we're, we're naming something here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it It sounds pretty stupid. <laughs> I don't know. Hope you'll have a review for this next week, and we'll, we'll talk about the film more then once you've seen it. Yeah, I actually will probably review it this week. I, I, I'm, I'm very interested. <laughs> I love yes. bad comedies. Oh, I, I meant crawl, but yeah, I guess you can. Oh yeah, yeah, I'll do, well. I'll do stupor too. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I will see do both crawl. Refuse from you. <laughs> I put myself right, on the uh, line for both now. So. Yep, now you have to. It's it's on the podcast. It's official. Oh, All right, yeah. here, at number two, we have Toy Story Four, which we talked about here. We've talked about before. Yeah, which I've already and, reviewed. Go look yeah, at that. Check out that review. No more to say right now. And, and at number one, which we also review for, is Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, it'll probably stay number one for a little while. I feel like the conversations moved pretty negatively against it recently. Oh, I've still seen more positive, <coughs> but like, like not like terribly positive. Like people seem to like it, but like I, I don't see people talking about it much. Have you it's seen not uh, a huge impact? Have you seen all the articles about like? Uh, Marvel retaining the rights if they get it to one billion. Yes, I did see something about that, but I don't think that will happen. I think it already has worldwide, so I think they get to retain the rights, and uh, now they could say yes or no to uh, potentially Spider-Man showing up in Venom or Spider-Verse. We'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That would be a that'd be shitty. Unfortunate. Yeah, I think because they're not I don't think Marvel's doing a great job with Spider-Man as a character. They're they're forcing him into this MCU colored corner, you know, where he's not actually getting to flex his entire interest as a character at all. Not that Sony is doing a lot better with that, but Spider-Verse sh- shows some promise that they're going to do more there. Yeah. And Venom shows that they're willing to do some bullshit too. So I'm excited yeah. to see which direction they go. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't have much to say about that. In terms uh, of that but uh, well, I guess for me, I'm just concerned about it. I I feel like he is just a bit player, and he's also my favorite superhero. If I if I really had to go look and see like what what one I really like, you know, Spider Man Two and Into the Spider Verse are really up there, and uh, not really comparable to anything except maybe Logan for me. So uh, do the right yeah, thing. Well, you know what I mean? Uh. Yeah, what, are we talking about Criterions now? Oh yeah, Criterions. <laughs> Back to that. <laughs> well, we we wanted to talk about the thousandth Criterion that was coming, um, but uh, we don't know what that is yet. Yeah, I'm, and I'm not going to embarrass myself by making a guess just to find out tomorrow that I was totally wrong. Anyway, we both want uh, what is it? The Orson Welles Netflix movie. You, you don't remember the name? It's not like we didn't commit like a whole you know podcast week and named it our film of the year last year and did a whole review and everything. You've already forgotten it. Once upon a time in the wind and something. <laughs> I think. Speaking that's... of Netflix, hey Netflix, Stranger Things. That's our topic for this week. I know we're so good at, at transitioning. Transitions. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> Mister Caffeine. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, we uh, we didn't want to talk about a movie this week because we were too busy busying, uh, binging Stranger Things. Yeah, season three. It's it's such a good uh, season. I meant to I meant to read Bro's review before we uh, came to start here today, but you kind of caught me in an inconvenient time, so I've not read it yet. But it'll be a, it'll be going up tomorrow from when we're recording, and it'll be up during this week. This is gonna be like just a Stranger Things themed week. It seems like here. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it deserves it. I think it's the best season yet. You know, I don't know necessarily where I stand on that. I think it it, it does seem to be better than last season for sure. But it's been so long since those seasons. I don't even remember. I didn't rewatch any of the older seasons to recap last time when when I watched season two. I think I rewatched season one again, or at least I started and to. I don't remember now. That was like eons ago. Season, yeah, it feels like it was what at least five years ago. I mean, no, not that long. <laughs> well, it's been two years since the last one, then what, a year before that? So Was it really like, yeah. when does show start? 2016, so no, not five years. <laughs> so four years. Uh, three years. No, no, three. Three years. We're doing math. Count on your fingers if you have to. 
so I really appreciated the tone that it took. I felt like it goes into a bit more darker horror, especially around like development of Billy's character. It really throws back to a lot of the eighties horror that I like. Anyway, uh, Billy's character. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I enjoyed the angle they took with him. They obviously, uh, decided to do something with him this season because he was somewhat of an underdeveloped character last time. And I think this was basically the best way you could take his character, the way you could deal with him, because mm-hmm. he was just... He's an insufferable character to begin with because he's a terrible, racist piece of shit. So making him the, the kind of quote-unquote villain of this season eh, makes perfect sense to do. Yeah. I think he's easily slottable as a villain and as, like, a, you know... I, I like that it starts out with all this Russia stuff, too. I feel like it's getting into what 80s movies were actually about and how they actually looked. And that's a, a lot more appealing than, like, the early fake neon stuff of, uh, like, this discount nostalgia, uh, which feels like a nostalgia from, like, another generation looking back on something they didn't know. So I, I don't I don't know that that nostalgia is still very much in full force here. My biggest complaint with the season was just how hammy and you know over the top some of the references were here. Like just in the first episode, I wanted to talk about mm-hmm. like I just kind of like I, I almost had to take a step away because of the really in your face fast times reference. <laughs> Which one was that? You don't remember? They do, uh, when when Billy, I guess it's been a while, but you did just watch Fast Times I did. over this past weekend. Yeah, so you'll, you'll be able to understand this. They they recreate the, the pool sequence. Where oh, yeah. Stepping out. <laughs> yeah. uh, and they do it, the same song. It's And right. he's even wearing, like, a red bathing suit. They just do a gender swap with Billy's character, but they do the cars. Yeah, I get it. In stereo with it. Um, yeah, no. Super obvious in your face. And I'm just like, I got my head on, you know, my, my forehead on my hand. Just like, oh, my God, I hope the rest of the references aren't this bad. And they are. I mean, they're, they're that obvious that the whole time. And I appreciate that because I felt like it was fake nostalgia the first two seasons. It was like filtered through a lens of a different generation that didn't understand it. And now I feel like it's just obvious and literal and the things I actually like. I don't know. It's just, a, it feels like the same kind of way with Ready Player One. Just mm. point out the references you get. Let's see how many parallels to Jaws we can find here. And let's recite lines from Die Hard, even though that film didn't come out of this time frame here. Let's have a whole musical sequence in the final episode for Never Ending Story. You guys like Never Ending Story, right? <laughs> that was the most on the nose I think they ever got. Them singing oh, the Never Ending just... Story. It was a ridiculous thing. It's like, hey, you know how we got a drastically time crunch here and we got to solve this issue before everyone dies? Let's just stop for a musical sequence. <laughs> like, just a, a full-blown song number. <laughs> like, I'm just like, we're going to really go through this whole thing? All right. You know what, though? I think Dustin was the only character I wasn't on board with. And then at the end, when he goes into that with his with his girlfriend that's been hated the whole time, I, I was, you know, the, real, the Susie Poo and all of this. I was really mm-hmm. getting into that. His character. I, I, I mean, bit. I really liked. I liked Dustin a lot this season. I was. I was asking when we discussed my fiance because it's obviously they're broken up into different factions throughout, and I think the Dustin, Steve, and uh, Robin storyline was was my most enjoyable. I found because it was it focused on their character dynamics and the interest they have there. I think the development between Steve and Dustin's character from the last season coming over is is one of the more interesting ones that have developed over the series. Yeah, I mean, Steve gets a lot to do as well. Uh, Steve really gets to develop here. It was ridiculous, though. I have to say, the the drugging and their kind of dazed outness was a bit over the top oh, as well. I that's, loved that's, it. That's the thing. So, I, it was so, so cool. I won't. As much as I'm going to bitch and complain about over the top references and ridiculously overacting character things here, I'm I'm still on board for it all the way through the series because it's that's kind of the point. You're just got to be on for the ride to enjoy this silly, you know, inane bullshit. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise you're just going to be miserable and angry watching it. So I was I was fine with it. I went along, but I recognized how ridiculous and dumb it kind of was yeah i think that's all you could really do is just kind of give it the benefit of the doubt that it's you know doing this for a reason to establish a tone um yeah well that's the thing is that the 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 strength of stranger things as netflix's kind of flagship show here now is that it's got a great cast of characters that people want to follow that's why it's such a phenomenon Mm. and it's why it's it's like it's only 
surviving series right now. You know, the, Netflix has been able to stay afloat for a while now because it kind of held on to those uh, properties of, like, The Office and Friends and stuff. That's why they paid so much money to keep those because people were keeping their Netflix subscriptions to continue to be with these characters. Yeah. And now, now with those gone, like, I think Stranger Things is, like, the the only thing they really have where people connect with the characters and it's not nearly, you know, going to have the same ubiquity that those shows do. No, I mean, you only have like Orange is the New Black that came before it, but that's the only one still going. Right, but that's not even like a, a show that people connect with the characters and want to spend time with, you know, people they they truly connect with, especially since it's more of a dramatic show. Uh, I'd say it's all about spending time with characters. <laughs> Uh, well, not in the same way as like the Stranger Things or Office comparison. I'm, oh yeah, I'm yeah, I see here. what you mean. Yeah, like th- there, th- there's like a group of characters there, and you're connecting with them in a different way. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm uh, getting at here. But anyway, the the idea here is that that's what the strength of Stranger Things is: is that this cast of characters they've really grown to love. But they're not going to have much more of a run with them because of. Uh, I, I think this is something I definitely noticed. The first episode, the most immediately striking thing is I'm like, damn, these kids are tall. Yeah. Yeah, they're outgrowing they grew it. Up. I mean, they—they—I they're, think they're realizing they have to cut this show before they become adults. Yeah, I think the Duffer Brothers said this is probably like a four-season thing, and then they're going to be done, mm-hmm. which is, I think, the smartest thing they can do because there's no longevity in this at all. Once these kids kind of hit their their puberty, there, then the the appeal is gone, and their premise is done. Um, there's. I think it's Netflix's most marketable show, too, because you're not going to be able to market anything in, like, House of Cards or, you know, Orange is the New Black. So uh, mm-hmm. this really lends itself well to brands, and uh, in that way, it generates the most money, so it has the highest production, and now that really shows up on the screen. Yeah, I think so, uh, definitely. And again, this one was... Uh... Particularly, you can see the budget and a lot of it on here, especially uh, a lot of the creature effects uh, feel like a, an improvement uh, in the particularly bigger ones. I think there were a couple where I was like, that looked kind of fake, but for the most part, they look really good. Um, I I do feel really over-inundated with Stranger Things anyway, though. Um, it does feel like, even in the 80s, when those things were released, it feels like you're going back to one of those cultural moments. Like, everyone was saying how uh, Game of Rings was the last... Uh, cultural moment as to show but obviously this is yeah i think it's a kind of shared cultural moment that we're kind of having right now and hopefully everyone kind of continues to, to jump on board here i know even my mom likes stranger things and she yeah. doesn't watch new stuff at all i think I was, that's I'll, the thing be... right people that don't even mm-hmm. like things like stranger things yeah I, I would be kind of interested though if she does get around to the season because uh you know she hates like rats and other things and there's those really gross rat kind of infestation early on in the show and i could just see her squealing in her chair right now they form like the creature from the thing which is really interesting the way they like conglomerate and form into a thing yeah the thing like the thing right But yeah, I, I thought this was a, a interesting plot development, uh, more particularly in the Russia stuff than in the actual creature thing, because the creature was just a rehash from the last year, the Mind Flayer, they call it, right? Mm. Yeah, and uh, the Mind Flayer, I, I like the Mind Flayer, though, I feel like it... No, yeah, I agree, I, I like the deal with it, I just wish it was more of a development thing, it was more like just the Mind Flayer Part 2, <laughs> it didn't feel like it changed any, yeah. you know... I like the Cthulhu-ness of it, and I appreciate that this season we don't spend much time at all in the Upside Down. That that works out for me. I don't think we spend any time in the Upside Down. I don't think we do, do we? Yeah. Oh, and uh, other things. i got to ask this as well. Like, other things we don't do this season as a smart move. We don't go back outside of Hawkins to those weird other people with powers. You remember oh, that from last season? That was, I think, what kind of crashed the last season for me, like, I understand why they wanted to do it for show longevity, but a really bad move, yeah. I thought. Oh, it derailed the whole show for everyone. You just go look at the show ratings on IMDb, and you can see the drastic difference in that episode to everything else. Oh, I hate that episode. It, well, it really because not only does it, yeah, not only does it just uh, take away from what's going on with the characters in Eleven in that moment, but it derails the whole structure of the show because it's just an episode about 11 we have no idea what's going on in hawkins that whole time and it's just it's a slog of an episode it's like they forgot what the show is actually about yeah 
They just they they try to do something totally different, and it just it just really smacked them back in the face. Nobody liked that episode, and nobody ever liked the upside down anyway. It's just ugly and boring. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was always like, well, that was like the big like twist of the first season that we had like this upside down, and it's like, but that's not very interesting. Oh, I thought it had some interesting aspects, but I agree that it's more interesting. And the, the interesting thing about the show is less about the sci-fi and horror stuff going on. The interesting thing is the characters and their dynamic, especially when we swap them between different groups. That's one of the big interesting changes from two there was putting Steve in with the kids as opposed to with Nancy and Jonathan as he was in the first season. Mm-hmm. And so having that again, you know, and seeing them there is interesting. But that's why, like, I feel like they could have done even more switching up of characters because, like... um. The Steve, not Steve, um, Jonathan and Nancy's storyline this time in season three here didn't do much for me. No, you know, their dynamic didn't really change much. No, I, I mean, there are things that that did did something for me between them, but yeah, like like, it's not like I didn't like it overall. Just it didn't do much for me. Like whenever we went to that, I was kind of more interested in what the other things were. Like they had their bit at the the local newspaper and whatnot, and they had to put up with abusive and, you know, kind of uh, misogynistic Jake Busey and friends. Yeah, (laughs) and Jake Busey showing up and just being the wildest person works out well. Yeah, well, he's continuing his father's legacy of looking like an insane person and being (laughs) absolutely ridiculous. And it's fantastic. Uh, I really love the addition of Robin, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought she was a great new character here, and uh, her relationship with Steve was kind of an interesting one in it's, how they regarded each other. It's great because you could see like the Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman in her, and you could just feel that like casting directors are like looking around for anything for her right now. Mm-hmm. Well, there was like a legitimately compelling thing between them. Yeah, like, she and, and kind of like a. Uh, uh, a reversal of expectations there because they kind of lay out uh, at some point about halfway through the season that she she was familiar with Steve throughout high school. He, you know, she sat next behind him in class and kind of, you know, watched him and paid attention to him and all that. And at first you think it's because she had a thing for him, but it was really uh, like totally the opposite that there was a girl that she was interested in that had a thing for Steve. And like she she was just like she could not figure out how Steve was able to get her attention so much and she couldn't do anything. Yeah, and I think that makes a really interesting, unusual dynamic between them. That that makes it really cool. I hope she gets mm-hmm. cast well, and everything. Yeah, I think it's especially interesting because, you know, the whole time, the whole season, you're kind of rooting for them to get together. And I know the fan base really wanted them to be together, but it's obviously not what the case is. And we should, you know, I think it'll be interesting to embrace this new uh, gay character for the show as well. Having more diversity here, I think that is uh, obviously, you know, an interesting thing to continue to do. I've noticed that a lot in recent movies. There's a lot of, uh, you don't really get like the build up and then like the white guy wins the girl at the end. It's always a twist mm-hmm. right at the end where there's like some difference in in what's happening. Um, that that never really is the case anymore. So it's nice that we've yeah. gone that way. I think it's nice to have this diversity. It feels like a natural diversity too. Like the fact that her character is you know lesbian, it did not feel like a forced thing in or like no. they're trying to check off a token box. It definitely felt like a natural progression, especially the kind of reveal of it, so to speak. And it it made sense like with what how she was. Uh, interacting with him like like she was examining him and like checking off a board when he failed or succeeded she was right. she was still like analyzing the way that he approached women uh, and mm-hmm. why it wasn't working or why it was it was really interesting right it gives a kind of new dynamic once you realize that to the uh you know the beginning bit where he's trying to woo girls in the lamest way possible right <laughs> and that you could see why it would be so frustrating for her Mm-hmm. Uh, one character dynamic change up I really did like was I liked the difference between uh, Eleven and Mike's relationship. You did? Um, yes, I, I liked that a lot because it, you know, it gave Eleven a chance to kind of spread her wings more as a character and get away from the kind of super psychic child thing from mm-hmm. season one up to an actual fully fledged teenage girl now and her you know interactions with max throughout the season really allowed her to express that and, and do something different and giving them that kind of more girl time i think that was an interesting change it was fun being with 11 sometimes and she went into like her dream space which did you feel like it was under the skin like well you know after you pointed that out to me uh you know because obviously i didn't before 
watching the you know because I saw the show the first two seasons before watching Under the Skin. But yeah, no, it, it looks exactly like that. Yeah, and I don't it's know. Like if it's like the black, a, like thick, like viscous water underneath her. Yep, it, that that kind of yeah, it looks shows me it looks exactly like it. I agree. I don't know if it's an influence or it just happened because they're kind of at the same time as well. Yeah, you know, it kind of came about. But yeah, it's obviously there, and you can make that connection. And you know, it's more sci-fi stuff. So sure, throw it on the pile. Why not? There's it's not like we're you know low on any references <laughs> no and i feel like those sequences are really interesting to her character and then it eventually gets to the beach and you get like the huge payoff of that as aesthetic uh, mixing with the something more surreal i really appreciated the time with their character yeah i i think that was interesting again the the change up in relationship dynamics well again i feel like you could even if you stripped the show of all its sci-fi stuff and, you know, 80s-ness and all that, like, if you just made it a straight teen drama between these characters, I think it would still be just as riveting. You know, that's what people are here for. Yeah, I, I feel like it's just... I feel like it's figured out exactly what we want for the show and has, like, focus-tested it to be like, okay, you're going to get everything you need from each character this time. Well, I, I don't know about every character because there are definitely some character that I feel like are like lacking. Do you feel you lacking. mentioned Dustin earlier. But most definitely I feel Will is just like such a non character in the show now. Will could pretty much be thrown away without consequence by now. Yeah. The the problem is is that in the first season he existed solely as a MacGuffin character. Yeah. He was just a plot device something someone to rescue before the end. And the second season they said shit, uh we don't know what to do with this guy now. We've got this interesting group dynamic with the characters we've already written how do we fit this guy into it and they're just like uh let's just make him a mcgovern again and we throw him back on the upside down and you know he's another you know, he's unconscious for the majority of season two and so in season three they're like oh well we can't do that again uh let's just have him complain about D for the first five episodes <laughs> that's literally all of his lines revolve around playing D and now they've kind of taken that away from him because they've they've really like figured out how to get the characters away from that aspect so he really has no relation to anything happening anymore yeah i don't know it, it was a frustrating thing because obviously you know there's this moment where he storms off and he goes to his little fortress in the woods mm -hmm. and he starts having this emotional moment where he's tearing it apart and i'm like i get that i'm supposed to feel something here but i don't because he's just upset that he can't play D. &D. yeah <laughs> like like they try and paint it as this thing like his friends are moving on and abandoning him and it's wrong. But it's like they're not wrong for growing up and expanding their relationships and being with girls. Like like they, the show tries to paint it as, oh, this is a dick move on their part. But it's totally not. So his – like like Will's issues here are just a total – you know, he's, not thing he's very anything. immature and it's interesting to see someone in the show stuck in like that kind of adulthood that – Right, well, stunned they, adult uh, adolescence. Right, but they play it like he's validated for being, you know, stunted growth, and they don't like try to explore that with his character or make him expand. I don't know. I I think like the more interesting thing to have done would have been to pair him with one of the girls last season. Like maybe he would have been the one to get with Max instead of Lucas. But mm -hmm. you know. I don't. I, that, that's a retrospective fix. That's not actually going to change anything now. But they de they definitely got to do something with this character moving forward. I think hell, maybe if you put him in the kind of same boat where he he if you give him more like powers or something, something to do in the show. You know, like he could have something from the upside down. I don't know. He just he yeah. literally like does nothing the whole season. He, he does not matter really at all here. Yeah, I mean, he's like an old hang up that the characters have to move past so they could do what they need. Yeah, so it's it's kind of frustrating there, and uh, I guess that kind of like other problems I have is just like um, Mike and uh, Nancy's mom, who who sort of has a character in the show. Yeah, or not 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 Nancy, Nancy's but yeah, but Mike's mom in the show is uh, like you, you get that little bit with her early on in the first episode where she's like gonna cheat on her husband with uh, Billy, but then she like doesn't. And, like, she keeps popping up throughout the show, but I never recognize her because her hair is always, like, radically different. <laughs> and so, like, like throughout the my fiancé would keep pointing out, like, I'd be like, who, who is that again? And I'm like, that, that, that's Mrs. Wheeler. I'm like, oh, I keep forgetting. Because yeah. she's also just, like, another non-character. She doesn't really do anything for the show. Yeah. Uh, what, I guess the big question is, what did you think about Hopper? Uh, 
I'm going to wait to come around to the ending for a bit, because I do want to talk about, like, Hopper and Joyce's relationship a little bit here, which I, I enjoyed the banter of, but I feel like ultimately them, like, getting together is, is not kind of proper, you know, especially for their character dynamic, and, you know, Hopper's a totally different character than uh, Bob was in last season. Yeah. You know, rest um, in peace. I think that makes some <laughs> sense, that you would develop and find something new. Yeah, I, I just don't think that, I mean, their character dynamic has never been one of mutual attraction like that so them like pushing that like I, I appreciate that there's that curiosity about it but not exactly insistence on it but the fact that like it, at some point characters are insisting that you guys just need to fuck already like and it was like <laughs> you know no like like trying to ham that up a lot like I don't necessarily agree that they that is their kind of character dynamic like if you look at the parallel back with in season two the same character telling Jonathan and Nancy that they just need to sleep together already that made sense you know whereas I feel like that doesn't exactly translate to Hopper and Joyce there but um, I mean I like it I guess I relate more to them than like the kids though in some way which is getting to be a really sad place to be I think Right. I, I I mean, I see that a lot that you just tend, you, you've got that very fixed perspective where you see how things kind of relate to you. And of course, that one makes more sense into your your time, you know, in life right now that you're, yeah, you're closer right. to the hoppers than the than the kids of the story. That's a scary place to be when the other seasons I was probably closer to, you know, the more adult kids. And then now I'm like, oh, no, I'm 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 a hopper. Right, <laughs> but it's not too bad to be because Hopper's a great character. Still, he's a uh, uh, very fun, and he's obviously kind of like the driving force of the film, uh, the series, the majority of the time. Yeah. You know, as far as like physical force, especially. Uh, you know, getting to see him throw people around the room and be kind of <laughs> like a juggernaut force—that's always fun. And he's been like that case throughout the whole series. Yeah, I thought this season had a really good physicality to it too. There's a lot more mm -hmm. connection and better shot action than there ever was yeah. before. I liked the the sequence in the carnival that they had. I think it's in the... It's not the last episode, but, like, the second to last, where they're chasing around. He chases through, like, the fun house, and they have, like, a lady from Shanghai moment where he shoots the the guy in the, the mirrors and all that. You're right. They have, the, um, like, the same setup as Jaws does, where it's, like, the countdown to the day, and there's, like, preparations being made, so there's not, like, this massive disaster. And then there's, like, the whole July 4 incident. It's actually, there's literally so many things lifted from Jaws. Not only do you have a mayor obsessed with kind of like <laughs> yes. getting by the legality of things so that the 4th of July celebrations can go by smoothly, but there's like lines straight lifted from Jaws. There's like a drunken moment where Hopper decides he has to, you know, he's going to do something like that. Or like he, he stumbles out of the restaurant with a wine or whatever it is you remember right. and they're like hey you can't leave like that and he's like i'm the chief of police i can do whatever i want yeah that's literally a line from john's <laughs> yeah and uh, they they make the terminator look just like arnold here it's like no different it's another uh, yeah it's another russia it's a russian terminator here he kind of resembles a kind of arnold or also like the t-1000 as well kind of yeah, they 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 list straight things like that, there's, and there's a scene with him. I I didn't mention as well. There's a little diehard line as well when like he's when Hopper has the gun up mm -hmm. against his head and he's like, and, and the Russian Terminator's guy's like, "You're not going to shoot me." He's like, "Oh yeah." He's like, "You're a policeman. <laughs> there are rules for policemen." And what do you think of it? Uh, well, you did it fix? Did it do it for you for the Back to the Future nostalgia? Uh you know I did. Uh, I realized once that came up, like you were kind of hinting that there was going to be a big nostalgia moment for me in particular. And when that did come up, like I didn't think much of it because it's just kind of in a background thing. It's just literally clips from the movie. I did notice, however, when it was playing that they edited, they kind of skipped parts of the 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 beginning there, which they're playing clip, clips from. They edit out it so the audio kind of matches up with their action as they're leaving the room. Yeah, and I'm like, I know this movie too well. You can't trick me into thinking that they, <laughs> you know, the time spent here was the exact time. I know exactly how that scene plays out. Right. Um, then uh, they have that weird discussion about Back to the Future, which I don't really know what they were going for outside the theater. I Oh yeah, they, they they kind of do that little winky thing that they're talking. Oh, the, yeah, this is their drunken conversation where they're like, "Oh, he was trying to sleep with his mom." He's like, "His mom, but they're the same age." Mm, yeah, that that dumb thing. I just kind of lopped that in with all the other stupid, drunken, drugged up shenanigans that they had going on, and just wrote it off as dumb bullshit. Oh, I liked all that stuff a lot more than you, I think. 
Yeah, no, I again, I wasn't there for that because it was just so ludicrous. Because that that o- they only started getting that over the top after it was convenient. Like all the stuff during the questioning, like that made sense for their responses, where they kind of just were loose and giving the answers to things. But when they when they started just being ridiculously movie high, you yeah. know, like not actual high. That, I that's mean, that's what, what I, people do of, when they're actual high, right? They they just talk about I, nonsense. Yeah. Uh, so, I guess to kind of look back around, uh, to talk about the ending of the series here. Oh, you know what? Hold on. Before we do, I do want to talk about one more character, because we need to talk about, uh, Alexi. Yeah. Because Alexi, he's a new character that we had in the show here who was fun. He was the, the Russian guy that they kidnapped. You remember him? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like that. I like what they do with all the Russian conspiracy. The Alexi kidnap is a lot of fun, too. Uh, like, taking yeah. him to the grocery he was a very fun character, despite not kind of speaking any English. They do a really good job of endearing you to him, and then they do that. Uh, I mean, because they have all sorts of fun where he they can't speak. They have the whole cherry versus watermelon conversation with Slurpees and all that. Yeah, uh, and and becomes a very easily lovable character. Surprisingly, that's one of the most obvious stuff. Like when they keep going into stores and having to buy things, it's like, all right, you know, you you have a lot of product placement here. Oh yeah, let's. Uh, there had to be a Coca-Cola product placement in every shot of the series. There was a lot of new Coke. There was all yeah. There was that whole bit about new Coke. I don't even remember like all. Of it. I was it was a specific thing like they yeah. were doing a, a movie thing as well. It, uh, it was bad. The new Coke stuff. I I really wish that weren't there. Right. It just like I said, there was an excessive amount. Not even just that new Coke thing specifically, but just like vending machines and cans in every shot. It was everywhere. And a lot of it takes place at a mall, which is very interesting because it allows your background to be an advertisement every second of the show. Right. Oh, that was a weird thing I noticed. Well, did this bother you at all? the The mall itself was very anachronistic. Uh, the the signs for you know the build the, the various um how so shops and everything they're they're modern signs yeah um i know it's like shot in like a shutdown mall and they had to like recreate everything so it's not like a actual functional mall right but they didn't like really go to the efforts to recreate things like the i know stuff like the gc penny sign in particular that's just straight up a modern logo of it but that's, that's it, how it looks like at your mall that's how it all that's the logo it's always been i think Right, but they didn't have it with the particularly lit signs like that way. Like they would have been mm. more traditionally made kind of signs. I'm I'm pretty sure that that's not how the logos looked in a mall storefront like that in the 80s. I just but well, I imagine is it like the 80s of our imagination where everything's backlit? Maybe all of the 80s is the 80s of my imagination because <laughs> I was born in the 90s. So I mean, by the time I was around, like 88, you know, I'm sure everything was already that way. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Take it from us, two people who've never been in an 80s mall. Right. <laughs> I spent a lot of time in malls in the 90s. So. Right. But, I mean, like, think about that. Just look, think back to, like, what mall rats look like to tell me that it looks like a similar mall. No, I mean, I think our malls look pretty futuristic. Like, you know the arcades look like that, but you don't know if, uh, yeah, I don't know about JCPenney's or... Right, the, the the mall in this season looks way more modern than any mall I even visited, you know, in my youth. So Man, I don't know. It's I, it, it I looks a little have, odd to me. But again, it, I must have heard about thirty or forty scoops of Roy Baskin Robin commercials this weekend. <laughs> That's funny. I think. Do they have like special flavors going on? Are you going to be able to get a like a banana split Sunday with? Waffle sales. <laughs> you were able to get whatever the USS, uh, whatever that uh, pick was from the show. But butterscotch, I think they called it. The, the yeah. USS butterscotch. I think that's it. You're able to go in and get that, and it's just called the scoop away or something. Oh, I can't order it as the butterscotch. You can. <laughs> I think they'll get it. Mm-hmm. That's funny, but that, that, there's a serious amount of marketing tie-in here. Which is okay, but it just when I notice it as egregiously as I do here, I might have a little bit of a bone to pick. Yeah, there's a there's a whole lot, and uh, I don't think a lot of it's that creative. Like a the upside down whopper is just an upside down whopper. What is that? Is oh that really yeah, all you got? Like that. Are, you, are, you, are you fucking kidding? Seriously? That's not that's not that know. great. 
no, that's a dumb, dumb thing. And it's not, again, especially since they don't even fuck around with the upside down really this time. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a an old connection, and they're kind of just grasping at straws, just uh, trying to get friends on board. Like I said, that's why like some of the plot was a little more boring to me this time because the the plot isn't the progression of what happened last time. It's just like, oh, we didn't fully close the portal last time, so things are a little fucky again. So let's just finish what we basically did already. I love the last episode, though. It did a lot for me. Last episode, I think this is the strongest last episode of any of the seasons so far. I really enjoyed it. Uh, although, I do have to say that the the emotional climax kind of big thing here that happened didn't exactly resonate because I don't believe it happened. I still do believe it happened. I believe they're going somewhere different than you do, I think. Mm-hmm. So... Just major spoilers, just in case anyone's listening here. Let's talk about uh, the supposed death of Hopper. So, why don't you believe it's real? Well, because I don't think they really played up that angle as much there. You know, I I think it's a kind of chic thing to kill off characters a lot now, especially in, you know, wake of Game of Thrones. And we just had, like, Endgame this year did big thing as well in Infinity War before that, you know, kind of. So, yeah, they're going to kill off characters. And they've done that before, but... I don't think they've like they're gonna kill kill especially someone like Hopper. Last last season when they killed off Bob made sense. He was a new character. They spent time just enough time building up emotional attachment to him so it can be a real gut punch when they kill him. But Hopper is someone like he's an actual like driving force of the show and a reason people keep coming back to it. People love David Harbor. I mean that's why he got Hellboy this year mm-hmm. it was because of Stranger Things and his popularity as an actor now. Uh, you know, they're not going to drop him for that because people aren't going to want to come back necessarily for a fourth season if he's not around. They're going to do something to bring him back in, and they've they've written themselves a convenient way to put him into the show again if they so choose to do that. I'd agree that they could, but I think the way they ended it afterward made it more interesting to keep him dead. I think they, they uh, you know didn't really give themselves obviously enough there because one big thing I think uh, kind of broke point this out as well is that when you kill a character off in a show or a movie or something like this you have a funeral scene and that wasn't really a funeral scene not enough fanfare for this major character's death in the show so there's no way I think he's written off you know you wouldn't believe it unless until you saw a casket no I I mean we'd need more evidence for the next season and I feel like there's been some word going around that I feel like I feel like you could creatively write him into the show still, uh, you know, doing flashbacks or whatever they want to do next season. So we'll see what they do. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I mean, cause like I said, they gave themselves a way out. There's that post-credit sequence where the Russians reference there being an American that they're having hold on to. So obviously this meant is an obvious intention to be like, hey, maybe it's Hopper. Maybe he's still around. Like, they, that's clearly what they're going they for there. They definitely want you to think that, that. Whether or not it's that's, him, they uh, want you to think that. Exactly. Thing. Like, it may very well not be, and even if they don't bring him back or they bring him back a different way, that's 100% the tease they're doing there. They're making you think it's it's really him. But that, that was part of the problem I had watching it is that I felt like, especially in this age of, you know, disposable characters that we just bring back the next time around, I didn't believe they were actually going to go through with this. Like, I don't, I didn't feel like they'd built up. I think they would have focused even more on his character and gave him a really truly big sentimental hero death moment. I, like I didn't feel like I think that's that why was it was so shocking to me because I I didn't feel that coming at all. And I, I think it worked for me in that way because I didn't. I thought that was the last character you'd kill off. Exactly, and I think that's the I think that's the interesting kind of uh, duality of reactions we can get here is that you got your end here where it's it was a shocking departure from expectations and so it must be true whereas i think just the opposite there that because it's you know n- not enough was built up in fanfare there that you know they're just kind of pulling our leg and going for the tearjerker i think the last episode looks better than any of them have before um i i wish i watched it fourth of july because there's a lot of fireworks yeah, there was a lot of that was kind of the whole climax there, blowing up the mind flare with all the fireworks they had, which they set up earlier, you know, in the obvious way. It was a good way to bring like the '80s neon into a visual language because usually you just have like some uh, inefficient sci-fi trope that defines that, but having it come up with fireworks and new ways to use color is a lot more interesting. 
Mm -hmm. And I think setting it around 4th of July made for an interesting premise. So far, we've done, uh, you know, everything's been centered around a holiday. We we started with Christmas and then Halloween, and now we're here at 4th of July. And we're going to run out of holidays here pretty soon. <laughs> I don't know what the next next one really is. Mother's Day. <laughs> we'll Mother's see what Day they do. <laughs> It'll be like a Valentine's Day one, and they, they try and kill the beast with Cupid arrows or something. <laughs> Stranger holidays. Maybe Happy New Year, and they drop the ball on him. It would be nice. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I feel like we've we've covered Stranger Things pretty well. Yeah, I'm glad we did this. Uh, I enjoyed it. It's the one time I'll sit time aside to watch a show, since it's easy enough. I like bingeable television, and this one seems to be the easiest to binge and the most appealing, and I look forward to the next season whenever they get around to it. Yeah, next I'll talk you into watching Twin Peaks, a good TV show. <sighs> I don't know how bingeable that is. Certainly not in an eight-hour time frame. The most bingeable. <laughs> All right, man. Take care.